0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting
1: a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage. And today's program, this program, is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in this program, the question that I am going to answer is if a person gets divorced, can they be saved, or will they go to hell? Or if a person gets remarried, will they go to hell, or can they be saved? Now, in most cases, the way that people will deal with this question is to say, well, it depends on the circumstances. It depends on the situation. There are some circumstances where A person might say that it is okay to get divorced in this kind of a circumstance, or it is not okay to get divorced. And so if it is not okay, then the consequence might be that God will not allow you to be saved. He will send you to hell. If you divorce under these circumstances, or if you remarry under these circumstances, then it will be unacceptable. But this is not why I am here. This is not my role. My role is not to make these kinds of judgments, to make these kinds of decisions in your life. You are responsible for these kinds of decisions. You are responsible for what you believe. I am here to answer the question from the point of view of the Scriptures. And I know that. There are many people who would say the same thing and then they would proceed to tell you that you will go to hell or you will not go to hell under certain circumstances. But I personally see that there is no way to answer this question in that way. There's no way to answer the question of salvation in the context of divorce or remarriage because the conditions of salvation were not based on Jesus dying for our sins and providing us with an opportunity to be saved with the exception of divorce or remarriage. You know, you can be saved, but only if you deal with certain exceptions in terms of how you establish or how you end relationships with other people. I don't see that. The question of salvation is totally unrelated to the subject of divorce and remarriage. It is unrelated, and this is why I will say that it is unrelated. You must first ask the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You must ask this question, and you must answer this question. If you ask and answer this question, then the question of, can you be saved and still be divorced or remarried, will easily be answered. It's easy to answer this kind of a question when you understand the gospel. But that's the problem. The problem is, is that it is extremely difficult to find someone, especially if they call themselves a Christian, it's extremely difficult to find someone who will answer the question, what is the gospel? And do you think I'm just making that up? Do you think I'm just being rude or something? I'm just saying that in order to say that I know the gospel and other people don't. I'm not saying it for that reason. You go, you go and you ask people this question and you will find that it is unusual to find someone who will answer this question. I'm telling you because I've done this. I've done this. I have gone to an enormous number of churches and I have asked this question of an enormous number of people. And I will tell you from personal experience as I have been all over this planet that it is unusual to find someone who can actually give you an answer to this question, let alone whether it is right or not. That's another issue. If you ask this question of Christians in your life or in the lives of the people who you know, then they will not only have a struggle answering this question, but those who do give you an answer will give you different answers. You will have all kinds of answers. This is important. Don't just take my word for it and don't ignore what I'm telling you as a way of justifying your rejection of what I'm about to tell you. You do it yourself. You be responsible yourself. And you find out that what I am telling you is true. The reason why people are asking the question, if you are divorced, will you go to hell? Or if you remarry, will you go to hell? The reason why they ask that question is because they have no idea what salvation really is. Salvation, the gospel, is the solution to a very serious problem. And the problem is not how do we get people to stay married. The problem is not how do we figure out how to get them remarried or how do we justify divorce. That's not the problem. The problem is clear in the scriptures. Go into the scriptures and you will find the description of the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we have the description of the problem of humanity being introduced. This problem was very simple. God gave the commandment that if you eat from the wrong tree, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then in that day that you eat of that tree, in that very day, at that moment, you will surely die. And the words that he chose to use were very explicit, very descriptive. Mut Talmut in Hebrew, it means you will absolutely, without question, at that moment, in that day, you will die. Now, as you continue to read, you discover that Adam lived to be 930 years old. Him and Eve had some children. They did some gardening. You can tell that they were quite active for a couple of dead people. And so you might wonder, how can that be? Well, the reason why they died in that day is because they died in a way that is different from what people assume. People figure that it has something to do with their physical existence, with their physical life here on earth, but it doesn't. It does in a certain way, but it's actually just a side effect of what really happened. The death that God spoke of was related to the life that he gave them. You see, death is the absence of life. If you encounter somebody who's dead, you don't go to that individual and check them and try to determine, my goodness, is the presence of death here? Do we have death here? You don't do that. You check to see if they're breathing. You check to see if their heart is pumping blood. You check to see their vital signs to determine if there is the presence of life. And if there is no indication that there is any life there at all, Then the person is declared to be dead, not because of the presence of death, but because of the absence of life. And life was breathed into humanity. It was breathed into humanity in the context of what is called the Nishmat chayim, which is a specific construction of words that refers to the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God was breathed within humanity And it was the presence of the life of God that made Adam and Eve alive, alive to their God. So when they violated the commandment just by eating from the wrong tree, when they did that, they died. They didn't die physically, they died spiritually. It was a spiritual death in the context of the Holy Spirit of God that was breathed within humanity was withdrawn. It was removed. From within them, and in that context, they were dead to their God, but very much alive to the world. God made a number of changes, and we have those changes recorded in Genesis chapter 3. It's very important to see those changes and to understand how that affects us today. But what I want you to consider is the fact that Adam and Eve died spiritually, and then the children that they had after that, they were born in the image of Adam You read the scriptures, you can find exactly what I'm referring to in Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. You will see that when Adam and Eve gave birth to their children, they gave birth to their children in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, but their children were born in their image. And what was their image? It was the reflection of an individual who was spiritually dead, who did not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And as you continue to read, you will see the description of humanity not being a reflection of God, which is what that word image means in this context. It means that they were living their lives in the image of what it's like not to have God. They live their lives as a pure reflection of their emptiness. And sin is the expressed manifestation of an individual who is empty inside and they are searching for fulfillment in the deepest part of their being to fill the emptiness that has been left by the Spirit of God through his absence as a result of the decision of Adam and Eve. So that is the problem, that is the condition that humanity is in. We are born into this world spiritually dead. And we have sin that needs to be forgiven. This is the condition of humanity. This is the problem. The problem is sin and death. So when our God provided the Messiah, he provided a Messiah in order to deal with this issue, to deal with this problem, to provide a solution for the spiritual death of humanity so that he could restore to humanity what he created us to have. He did not come to save us in order to find some way to get our flesh under control. He came to save us so that he could resurrect us from the dead. The living God manifested in the flesh as the Lord Jesus, and he died for the sins of the world. For the sins of humanity, he dealt with the sin issue once and for all. And the reason why he did that was so that he could restore to us the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. He can offer to us the Holy Spirit freely as a free gift. And all that we have to do to receive the free gift is to simply acknowledge what he is offering. And to receive in our own heart, in our own being, in our own understanding that there is no hope outside of his grace and mercy and to receive his presence within us and to trust that he will do, he will accomplish what he has promised he will accomplish. Now, when the Holy Spirit is restored to an individual, when we receive the free gift of the life of God, of the Holy Spirit of God, according to the law, we could lose it because the law says that if you sin, you die. The wages of sin is death. Just as Adam and Eve experienced that, so you also are subject to the eternal commandment of God. So the next time you sin, what makes you think that the Holy Spirit will stay within you? What makes you think that he's going to stay there? If you have sinned, if you have sinned that has not been forgiven, I suppose, then why would he be there? Why would he remain? Is he going to contradict the law that he established when he created humanity to begin with? Absolutely not. This is why he had to deal with the entire sin of the entire world, all sin, past, past, present, future. All the sin that you have committed and all of the sin that you will commit in the future. He had to forgive it all. He had to have a resolution to it all. The entire sin issue between God and humanity came to an end when Jesus died for the sins of humanity. When he died on the cross for the sins of the world and he said, It is finished. He meant it. He wasn't kidding. He didn't lie. He told the truth. He said that the sin issue between himself and us was over. Between us and our God, it is over. So on that basis, there is no sin that can ever be committed that will result in the Holy Spirit departing from within an individual who has received the Holy Spirit of God, the free gift of life. This life will remain within you eternally because there is no sin that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you. If you will come to the point of acknowledging your condition, and if you will come to the point of acknowledging His provision, if you understand your condition and His provision, you can be the recipient of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God will never leave you. He will never forsake you because there is no sin that has been left unforgiven by our God. When he died on the cross, it truly was finished. So the life that we now have is by definition an eternal life, an everlasting life. The problem between God and humanity is sin and death. And the solution is forgiveness for the sin and the restoration of life. Again, the problem between humanity is that there is the presence of sin and death. And the solution is what God has provided. He has provided forgiveness and the restoration of life. So if a person will acknowledge their condition and his provision, and they receive what he is offering, then they will be resurrected and they will then be alive to their God and they will have a place among the living in the kingdom of heaven. They will be saved. But if a person does not acknowledge their condition, if they are unwilling to accept their depravity, their condition of requiring the mercy of God and that they have no hope, outside of the mercy of God, then there is no way that they can acknowledge and appreciate and receive his provision. According to the gospel, the good news, he has provided a way for people to escape their destination, which is hell. But if they refuse to believe the good news, then there is nothing more that God can do for them. He will allow them to remain in their condition of being spiritually dead, and that will be their conclusion throughout eternity. This is your one chance. It is while you are here that this decision must be made. This is the criteria that God has established concerning the question of salvation. This is his criteria. So if this is true, I have to make the assumption that this is the gospel. Let's go back to the original question. Can a person be divorced and be saved? Well, let's deal with the subject of divorce on that basis. Is divorce a sin or is it not a sin? I am going to answer that question, but not in this program. If it is sin, let's just make the assumption that it is sin. Was it forgiven? Did Jesus die for the sin of divorce? Yes, he did. Does that give us an excuse to divorce? You know, well, he forgave me anyway. And so, so we might as well just go ahead and do it. That's not what this is about. This is about the question, can you be saved or can you not be saved? Do not be distracted by all the consequences of the truth. First, deal with the question at hand and do not be distracted. Do not try to avoid this question or the answer. The question is, if divorce is sin, can you be saved if you get divorced? And the answer, of course, would be yes in this case, because all sin has been forgiven. No one will ever go to hell because of their sin. They will go to hell because they reject God's forgiveness and they reject the restoration of the Holy Spirit to them personally. That's why a person will go to hell. They're not going to go to hell because they get divorced. Likewise, we have to deal with the question, will a person go to hell if they get remarried? Well, if we assume, and I am not answering this question in this program, of whether or not remarriage is sin, I'm not going to deal with that question right now. Let's just assume that it is. Let's just say that getting remarried is sin. Will you go to hell if you get remarried? Well, again, the answer is the same. Going to heaven or hell is not determined by whether or not a person sins. It is determined by the gospel, whether or not a person receives forgiveness and the restoration of the Holy Spirit. That is what determines whether or not a person enters into heaven, is saved. That's the answer to this kind of a question. But I believe it can only be answered by first answering the question, what is salvation? Now, there are people who disagree with me concerning salvation. But let's be clear. Let's make it clear and have no confusion at all. That if a person disagrees with me on this question and this answer, it is only because they believe in a different gospel. They believe in another gospel. They believe that the gospel is, you can go to heaven as long as you never get divorced or you never get remarried. That's their gospel. That's not my gospel. That's theirs. Do not Try to ignore that. Do not try to hide from that. If a person says anything that sounds like you might go to hell because you get divorced or remarried, you're talking to or you're listening to somebody who believes that gospel, which is not the same gospel that I believe in. And the scriptures are very clear, especially when it comes to the writings of the Apostle Paul that you had better be clear about what gospel you believe. You had better be clear about that, because Paul made it clear that there are many different ideas concerning what the gospel is. But there is only one that is correct. There are many people who have various opinions concerning this subject and many others. But I don't believe that God has various opinions concerning this subject. If you ask the living God what the gospel is, he's not going to tell you, well, it might be this, it might be that. You know, in this circumstance, it's this, and in this circumstance, it's that. If you ask him to tell you what he thinks, or what he believes, or what he establishes, or what he knows about any subject, I believe that he has only one opinion concerning it. And so you must deal with the question of what is the gospel in order to answer the question, can a person be saved or not under any circumstance whatsoever? This is the bottom line. If you hear anyone tell you that your God holds sin against you, then you are listening to a person, if I'm correct about the gospel, you are listening to a person who does not know the gospel. And if they do not know the gospel, what do they know? I mean, really, what do they really know? If they don't know the fundamental truth of what salvation is, of what the good news of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah is, if they don't know that, then what could they possibly know? Because everything about our relationship with our God is built, it is established on the foundation of the gospel, on the foundation of forgiveness, on the foundation of the restoration of the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam. Without this, you are confronted with an individual who knows nothing, nothing. And I don't care if they have as many degrees as a thermometer. They know nothing about their God at all. And if you continue to be in their presence, acknowledge their existence, if you continue to go within the boundaries of their decorated facility, then you are an accomplice to the deception, to the crime that they are committing by suggesting to people that they know their God when they don't. Don't do that. It's not a good idea to contribute to the criminality of somebody else. Now, this subject of forgiveness is a very serious one. It's a very important one. And with the description that I have just given, I would expect many people will ask all kinds of questions because of what I have just said, just because I've been doing this long enough. I would expect you and other people to then have all kinds of questions such as, yeah, but what about this? What about that? So I have done a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness. You can find those in my radio archive. Listen to those programs from start to finish. And I deal with just about every question, every barrier that a person will be confronted with at one time or another concerning the subject of forgiveness. And so I'm not going to deal with those issues right now. I'm going to refer you to the programs that I did on forgiveness in order for you to have those kinds of questions answered. Do take the time to listen to those programs, because the questions that people ask, even if you're not asking those questions, the kinds of questions that people ask are very important, and they do need to be answered. And so even if you're not asking them, you should still be very familiar with the teaching that I presented on the subject of forgiveness, if not for your own purpose, but definitely to be able to help others deal with this issue. And I will continue with this subject in the next broadcast.